Well, I trust that it's been a good morning for you so far, and uh, even if you uh, had some struggles getting here, or even waking up this morning, that you're glad that you are here, because we're glad that you're able to join us this morning here at Trinity for a time of worship and the Word together. I brought my breakfast. How about you guys? I thought maybe I would just kind of sit and eat. It's a shame, I know. So, you know, um, two days ago, uh, two days ago, um, our uh, Jewish friends, as we know, we have many of uh, the Orthodox Jewish community in Lakewood, just down the road, and um, just two days ago at sundown, they began to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And it is uh, the Jewish New Year and really does symbolize a time for them, a time of a, a call to repentance. It is also the, the festival of the trumpets. And so the shofar, the big um, trumpet, is blown. It's sort of a call uh, to arms throughout history. It's a call to fight. But uh, with Rosh Hashanah, it is a call to repentance. And, and so it begins at uh, sundown. It did just on Friday And it lasts for 10 days up until Yom Kippur, which is then the Day of Atonement. And so at, um, you know, every week at the Sabbath, right, the sundown and Friday, the Jewish people will uh, traditionally, uh, they will bake a challah bread. And normally every week when they do that, it is sort of long and it's braided. But for Rosh Hashanah, uh, the challah bread is made to look like this. It is round. And for two main reasons, one is because it symbolizes, and there's a lot of symbolism in that, but it it symbolizes um, that the the year is round. It has come back around. The old year is gone. A new year has come, just like time, right? We see that on a daily basis. But for the new year, for Rosh Hashanah, it sort of um, signifies that time has come back around and there is a new beginning, but it also symbolizes and reminds people that um, that God is the head of all eternity and it sort of is like the circle of life. That life keeps going on and on, around and around, and God is the one who is sovereign over all of that because He is Creator. So for Rosh Hashanah, the, the Jewish holiday that um, our Jewish friends are celebrating now. They have the round challah bread to remind them that God is sovereign over all, that He has no beginning and no end, just like the circle. But also, it is braided as well to made to be looked like a sort of a crown. And so, it reminds them that God is not only Creator, but He is King. That God is in charge, because of course, a king is the one who is sovereign, right? The king is the one who, sovereign means that he is in control, he is in charge. And so it's very appropriate that we are beginning our series together in Genesis, a journey through the the book of Genesis today, uh, on the, the opening weekend of the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, because today we are going to look at just the first two verses of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It is the foundations, that's the beginning, uh, the, that's the beginning of all things. It is the name of our series. 
Genesis foundations, the future begins here. Why? Because if we want to know what God is doing now or in the future, is this the end? Do we see all the chaos and, and concern in the world? And what is God doing? Is this the end that Revelation talks about? Well, in order for us to understand what God is doing in the future, we need to look at the past and see how the whole story begins. Amen? And that's what we're doing by looking at the book of Genesis together. We love to go through books of the Bible here as a church. And so we wanted to start with Genesis, the very first book uh, of the Bible, and to see how it all started. Because it is the book of beginnings, but it is, uh, I'm calling it the foundations. The foundations of the world are established. And you know, as you as we go on through Genesis, you will see something amazing Church, every possible thing that could be going on in the world, every hot button issue, every topic that we hear about is addressed. It has its beginnings in Genesis, whether it is life itself, is it creation or evolution, whether it's the institution of marriage or the beginning of governments and nations, all of that has its initiation, its beginning, its foundations in the book of Genesis. So we are laying the foundation because if we are to have as a church a vision of hope this year, our theme for this year, then of course we need to be standing on a firm foundation. Does that make sense? Because if our foundation is unstable in shaking, then we will not have a clear vision for the future individually or for the church or to be able to be able to understand God's vision for his future and his will we need to start by laying the foundation and that's what we're doing in this series and we're doing that today by just looking at the very first two verses um, of Genesis and so you know we see that God is sovereign he's the creator the king of the universe and here we see he's beginning to create now Moses wrote this book He wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's often called the Pentateuch for five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote the book to remind Israel, the nation of Israel, of its history, of its heritage. Think about it. When did he write this? It would have been during the wilderness time, after Moses was called by God to... um, Uh, to redeem the people, to rescue the people out of bondage in Egypt while they were in the wilderness before going into the land of Canaan, Moses wrote this book. And he wrote all five books, but he wrote especially Genesis to remind the people of Israel who had been in bondage for almost 400 years of who they are. I mean, we can forget a lot after 400 years, can't we? I mean, we forget a lot after just a few hours, right? Wait, where am I? What am I doing today? After 400 years, they had forgotten a lot about who they are and how God had blessed them and their father Abraham, which they, you know, they vaguely remembered. And so Moses wrote this down as a history to remind them who they are. Because listen, if he was going to bring them into the promised land and say, you are to be a nation to be blessed by me, my chosen people, a people called by my name to be a blessing, listen, to the rest of the world, to the other nations, then you need to know who you are. 
the same is for us as well. If we're going to be a blessing, church, to the world around us, we need to be reminded of who we are. Isn't that right? And what the Scripture says about who God says we are. It doesn't matter who other people or who the world, right, society says we are or should be, but it's who God says we are, our identity. So that's why Moses wrote this book to remind the people, say, look, God is bringing us into the promised land. He didn't know how long it was going to take at that point. But he's writing it to say, here's the foundation of everything. Because if they were to be a people for God and they were about to settle in the land that God had promised, he said, we better get first things first, right? Keep the main thing the main thing. We need to have a solid foundation. Here is who you are, and more importantly, here's who your God is. And so Moses writes and begins by saying, in the beginning, God, right? So Moses is the author here. Um, he would have written it around, if we have a time frame, around 1400 B.C., something like that, uh, out in the wilderness when they'd just gotten out of Egypt, preparing them to be a nation. Um, geographically, it would have covered, this book of Genesis covers the time that they were in um, the land of, uh, from uh, Mesopotamia, going all the way back to creation, which is sort of now the general area of uh, Iraq and Syria, if you kind of know your geography, uh, to Egypt and to Canaan. So they kind of went, uh, they sort of went from that area in the east, they kind of went west and then up north in the land of Canaan. And so that's sort of the geographical area and the time frame that it covers about 2,000 years of time from creation all the way to Joseph. Genesis has 50 chapters starting where we are today in the creation of all things and ending with the story of Joseph. And so it, it can be, this book can be outlined in a few different ways, and I want to show that to you. And so um, the, the first way is pretty simple, and it can be divided into two parts. And, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like this. And so the first part of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11, is the foundation of the human race. Okay? The foundation of the human race and that would be chapters 1 to 11. And then the rest of the book, the other part, part 2, is the foundation of the Hebrew race. That's verses 12 to 50. Does that kind of make sense? So the first 11 chapters, the first part of, of the book of Genesis, is the beginnings or the foundation of the human race. And then the second part of the book, part 2, the rest of it, is the foundations of the Hebrew race, chapters 12 to 50, which starts with, of course, Abraham. But then you can break it down a little further, and I think this is also very helpful. And I will show this every week as sort of an overview of, of, of um, overview as our outline and where we are, so we can kind of keep track of where we are in the story of Genesis. But you break it down a little further. So part one is the foundation of the human race, and you can break that part one down into four events, creation, the fall, the flood, and then the dispersion, which is, you remember that story, the Tower of Babel. That kind of makes sense? And so we have part one, the foundation of the human race, is four events, four main events, and everything falls under these events, creation, fall, and the flood, and the dispersion. And then part two, the second half, or the second part of Genesis, is the foundation of the Hebrew race for people. So if the foundation of the human race is based on four main events, then the second part of Genesis, the foundation of the Hebrew race, is based on four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
and Joseph. Now, of course, there's a lot of other people in there, right? Then what about Jacob's brother? Remember Esau? What about Isaac and Ishmael? Yes, we're going to talk about them too, right? Because they deserve to be discussed, especially this day and age. There is, there's highly, there's a high significance in many other major uh, people and characters throughout Genesis. But this is a great way to kind of keep it simple and to break it down. So the two parts of Genesis, the human race, the Hebrew race, four events and then four people. Okay, four events and then four people. And so this is how we will journey through Genesis together. Okay, and then uh, and so part one, of course, is where we're starting the foundation of the human race. Chapters 1 to 11, four events, creation, fall, flood, and dispersion. And of course, today, where would we begin? And that would be creation, right? Because part two is the four people. But then we call this series Foundations. The future begins here because we need to know where we all, where it all started, right? And so um, today, we are in uh, creation, And so we're in creation because God creates, right? God creates. And so I want to read to you the very first, I want to read to you the very first verse, right, of um, Genesis. It's verses 1 and 2, and you'll see it up on the slide in just a second, right? Genesis 1, 1 to 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I'm guessing that these are words and verses that you have read before. You probably find it on page one of your Bible. I can't really tell you what page it's on, because every Bible and version has different pages. But I might be safe to say, just go to page one, like start at the beginning. And so, in the beginning, and that's a great way to start, isn't it? We covered that last week. In the beginning, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. We're kind of bringing it down a little bit more focused. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So I want to look at these two verses, unpack them just briefly, and kind of see what our common theme is, which of course is God being the sovereign creator, and all things are under his control. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, it's just two verses, but it's been said often that even especially verse 1 could be called the most important verse in all of scripture, and why would that be? Because it's the foundation, right? It's the foundation. Everything is built upon it. That's what we're calling our series foundation. Everything else in the rest of the story, all the way to the end of Revelation, is built upon this most important foundational truth that God was in the beginning. He always has been. He has no beginning and no end. And God created everything. And so, God created something out of nothing. There was nothing, and then God spoke it into existence. Now, it might seem like that's a hard thing to believe, but He is God, after all, and we are not. And it's, of course, we step out in faith, but 
if God is the creator, and it says in the beginning, meaning the beginning of all things, God created, it means God had already existed. And so would we want to argue with the self-existing one? The one who always has been and always will be? And so God creates something out of nothing. You know, there are many well-meaning Christians today in the pulpits and in academia who are trying to add to this, trying to compromise this foundational truth, sort of make it more accessible to, uh, to, the, to the masses, and sometimes being done even in the name of the gospel. Well, we don't want to turn people off from Jesus by, by telling them that God created and this really happened. So let's kind, of, let's kind of ease up on that truth. But church, what happens if you take the foundation of everything in Scripture and you start to mess with it? If you start to take the foundation and maybe play with it and compromise and read things into it that are not there, then what happens? You're trying to stand on a firm foundation and it, everything gets a little unstable and shaky, and I think it's only downhill from there. Do you see what I mean? So let's just take this in its plain and simple and literal meaning. In the beginning, when all things had its beginning, the creation, it was God. God was already there, and He did it. He spoke it into existence. God created the heavens and the earth. We need to stand strong and firm with confidence on this foundational truth. You know, Psalm 33, 9 says, For God spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Church, let's not mess with the first two verses of Scripture, okay? Because we get into dangerous waters as we go from there. Now, of course, there's a lot built into this. A lot of discussions, a lot of debates we could have. And, and of course, going through Genesis, we can't spend weeks and weeks on one verse or two verses. It would take us five years to get through it. And I don't know, maybe we won't be here in five years, right? The Lord come back. But it's okay. If, if he finds us going through the book of Genesis, that would be okay, I think. But see, here's the thing, you know, we can talk about creation versus evolution. We can talk about, was there a gap theory? Like, is there millions of years in between verse 1 and 2? And, and, and when did sin come in? I mean, does darkness mean sin? Is it like, what's going on with the, the empty and void thing? Yeah, we could get into all that. But church, let's just keep it simple and let's keep it um, firm, our foundation, and just read it plainly as it is, that God created the heavens and the earth. And now that term is important because he did create the heavens, as you can imagine it. He created the earth, but it also means everything in between. The heavens and the earth is everything in between as well. It's a way of saying everything. Does that make sense? It's a way of saying everything. So it's not just the heavens and the earth. It's saying God is the creator of all things. That's what Moses is trying to tell the the people of Israel. Remember, people, your God is is the creator, and he did it all himself. You know, the, it says the heavens and the earth. In the original language, the word heavens is plural. Isn't that interesting? There are heavens, and we could get into all what that means, but just keep that in mind. It's, it's plural. Heavens and the earth, it means everything, church. He created everything. It also reminds us, and this indicates to us, that the universe has a definite beginning, but not God. Because he always has been, he always will be. See, there's a separation between creator and creation. Am I right? 
He is the creator. We are the creation. And so God, the creator, has always been. He has no beginning point, but his creation does. It's, it might seem simple enough, but it's an important distinction to make. Everything in the universe has a definite beginning. God didn't just even fill up space. He created the space too. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness is over the face of the deep. Everything that he has created has been intentional and directly made by him. Let's look at verse 2 a little bit more. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So, it says that God's creation had no form yet. There was sort of nothing to it. It said void. We know what that word void means, right? It means means, um, empty. There was nothing to it. No form to it. He says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. I think this is where people start to... Maybe get a little confused here, right? And we kind of trip up on things. But darkness can simply mean here there was no light yet. Does that make sense? What does it mean when it's dark? It means there's no light. Some Christians might start to say, well, I think it means sin. And so what God created was all marred. And then God has to kind of, you know, you know, make it all good again, right? In the days of creation, which we'll look at next week. I'm not sure if that's true. I actually don't believe that's true that... It simply means that there was no light yet. I mean, how could it have been marred? Because what has marred God's creation but sin? Has sin entered the story yet? When does sin come in with humankind, Adam and Eve? We didn't get to that part yet, right? And then, of course, you're going to see next week. We're going to go through the days of creation next week, including the Sabbath. What does God say at the end of every day of creation? He looks over and it says what? It was good. It was good. So, so far, if we're just reading it plainly, everything's still good. Everything's perfect. It is under God's control. So it says darkness was there. There was just no light yet. God had not brought light onto the scene. That happens on, on day one, doesn't it? It also says the Spirit was there. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Why would he be doing that? I don't know. It doesn't say. But we do learn a really important doctrinal truth. The Holy Spirit is there. So, so far, we have that God, the Father, was there. And the Holy Spirit was there. I almost feel like he was hovering, like he was ready. Did you ever kind of hover over something? Maybe your, your mom was making your favorite dish and you're like hovering over the stove. You're like, what are you doing? You're ready to eat, right? You're ready. It's like the Holy Spirit was ready, like, God, yeah, let's get some creating done because the Holy Spirit is God as well. So he's taking part in this, hovering over the, the, the face of the waters, getting ready to, to create. So God is, is preparing. He is preparing. And so I think the key here is to remember, again, we can talk a lot about how people try to read things and they try to squeeze like millions of years in between verses here and exactly what's going on and how do we account for so many things that we see in nature. Let us take it plainly, church. Because remember, God is setting the foundation because next week when we get to verse 3 and we start to see the days of creation, there has to be a foundation for it, right? I mean, it's kind of like God is setting the stage For him bringing beauty into existence. When I read verse 2, 
Although all God does is important and beautiful, the earth was without form and void and darkness. It's almost just like God didn't bring the beauty yet. You see what I mean? We're going to see that next week. So it's God is preparing. He, he is laying the foundation, right? It's the title of our series. It's like a builder building a house. And do you start with the roof? Do you start with the walls? No, you start with the foundation, don't you? Maybe you pour the concrete. Oh, I like this. This beautiful slab of concrete. You don't look at it and say, wow, what a beautiful house. It's just the foundation. It's just a slab. But see, it's just it's kind of formless and, and, and void. There's nothing there yet. But then the builder starts to do what? He adds the, 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 the beams and he adds the walls and he puts the roof on it. starts to look beautiful. It's kind of like that. Right? God is setting the foundation. It's like a builder who lays the foundation of a building. It's like a, a painter who has a, a beautiful, fresh white canvas in front of him. It's like, now, I'm going to bring the beauty. So first, you have to have the canvas before you can create a painting, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? God is setting the foundation. Or, or maybe it's like a potter who has just a lump of clay. Did you ever do that? Did you ever kind of... You take one of those classes where you, you, you take a lump of clay and you have that spinning wheel, right? And you're going to build something. And I tried that once as a kid. And as it was going up, it just, you know, just kind of fell right back down. But the idea is it's a lump of clay. You don't look at it and say, wow, it's beautiful. Look what I did. Man, lump of clay. But it had to be there first before it could be shaped into something beautiful. See? It's what is happening here. Where it says the earth was without form and void. Darkness over the face of the earth. Light hadn't come onto it. No beauty yet. See, in that sense, there's no form to it, but it's there. Even God creates even the space that he is about to fill with his beautiful creation. Again, next week, we look at the six days of creation, even the seventh day that he rests. But today, verses 1 and 2, setting the foundation for God's beautiful creation that reveals and reflects his beauty as a creator some of you in this room are creative some of you are creative in different ways maybe you you can paint many of you can draw you can write poetry maybe maybe um you know you create uh um, maybe you create um you know other artistic things you can create a, a vase maybe you like to do that kind of thing and create mosaics, whatever it is. Your creative abilities, church, comes from God, your creator. Can you see that? Because God is the, the creator of beauty. If you see beauty in anything, it's because you are made in the image of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful, church? Yes, thank you. It is. It is. Once in a while, an amen is good. I give you permission. Go for it. Thank you. And so... He is setting the foundation. He's setting the foundation for what is to come. It's a beautiful thing. And you know, like a builder, like a painter, like a potter, there is sort of this blank canvas. But it tells us right in verse 1, in the beginning, God created. God created. For creation, shaping, for forming, for beauty. And then, of course, for the coming of human life on day six, which we will see. For the human race, we are part of that race. We are part of that creation on day six, 
the peak, the height, the apex of His creation. That's us. Church, do you know that you're beautiful in God's eyes? Do you know that? You can say amen to that too. You are. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that we are God's masterpiece. All that He created was good. Every day He looked and said it was good. And on the last day, he looked over all of it and said, this is very good. Church, that's God's design. That's God's design for creation. But yet we know, and we will see this very shortly in the coming weeks, that something happens. We call it sin. It comes from disobedience from the very first of God's masterpieces, Adam and Eve. And they choose of their own will to be disobedient to God. To be disobedient and break that one rule that God had set up for them. Just one. We think sometimes, if I could just have one rule, man, that'd be so easy. They had one. And they were still disobedient to God. And then sin comes flooding into God's perfect and beautiful creation. And it mars the creation. It mars the garden. It it mars the ground. See, but it mars the apex of His creation, the pinnacle of His creation, people. And we get that sin nature passed down to us from our original human parents, Adam and Eve. I truly believe that. If you take the Bible literally, that is what it teaches us. And so we realize that in order to be made perfect again, we call that being made holy again, in order to be reconnected to our Creator, the One who created the heavens and the earth, in order to be made Uh, in the ability to be into the presence of a perfect and holy God, we need somebody to bridge that gap, don't we? We need somebody to come along and pay the price for that disobedience. We somehow need someone else other than ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves because we are marred by sin. Someone else, someone who is perfect to come along and pay the price for us so we then can be seen by God as holy and blameless and the pure masterpiece that he has created. And that person is Jesus Christ and he alone is the one that can save us from the penalty and the power of sin. We are not yet perfected. One day when he comes back for us and he promised that he will, we will then see no more presence of sin. But spiritually speaking, we have been given a new heart in Jesus Christ. We are now connected with our Creator through that new heart, that new spirit. And to that, we were singing earlier, hallelujah. And we even sing now to close our time together about how wonderful our Creator is, that He has been from before time began, for He has no beginning and He has no end for God created it says that right in the beginning with his sovereign power with his very breath he created, he spoke into existence, the God of eternity the sovereign king our creator who creates who makes new who speaks things into existence he is perfect with no beginning and no end But he also wears a crown. 
For not only is he creator, he is king. Let us remember that today and always. That yes, the years may come back around and time moves on. But God is perfect. He has no beginning and no end. And he wears a crown. John 1, 1 through 5 starts this way. The Gospel of John. Does it sound familiar to you? In the beginning was the Word. That means Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. Church, it says that the earth was was formless and void, and there was a darkness... Who came to dispel the darkness? Jesus did. For in the beginning was the Word. And so at the very beginning in Genesis 1-1, who do we have? But the very Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, God, Creator. The Holy Spirit hovering over the faces of of the, the, the waters. And John 1 tells us Jesus was there, the Word. Because nothing happened without the sun being there as well, see? So right from Genesis 1-1, we see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The God who has no beginning and no end, the Alpha and the Omega, the One who was and who is and who is to come. That is our God. And Moses was writing this for the people of Israel to say, People of Israel, God has redeemed you from bondage. And bringing you into the promised land, this is who He is. I stand here today and say, you are in bondage if you are not in Christ. But God has sent the Redeemer. He sent Moses to the people in bondage. He has sent Jesus to this earth to free us from the bondage of sin. He is the one who we celebrate. He is the one When it says all creation praises Him, that's our God. So let all creation sing and let us praise Him for He is worthy. Now can we say amen to that? Amen.